Agua. This is one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard, and I'm going to share it with you, and you're going to be probably as surprised as I am. What I'm about to tell you about is one of the worst radioactive leaks in the history of the world. And for some reason, it hasn't gotten the coverage that, you know, Three Mile Island and Chernobyl have gotten. But it, it's just as pronounced. It's just as potentially deadly as uh, any of those. Maybe it's because it happened in Mexico. Maybe it's because, you know, we do this podcast and we basically do this podcast to uh, tell Latino truths. We also do this podcast because we think that journalism in the United States has become just downright shoddy. That's the purpose of Rick Sanchez News. That's why we do this. It's a part of Agua Media. It's a way of getting our messages out there. And, and we think it's important for us to do this so. So if, if you get a chance to follow us, and, and trust me, we could use your help in any way that you can uh, afford it, uh, including just joining us. Subscribe. Uh, as you can see, if you're watching us on YouTube, the button is below. Just hit subscribe. We're putting about four of these out a week now. And we think it's important to tell these stories like this one, a radioactive leak in Mexico and just about nobody knows of it because the U.S. media hasn't done a gazillion documentaries and a million stories about it like they have with the other stories. The one that happened in the Soviet Union, the little one that happened in France and the one that happened in Three Mile Island. So that's why we say if uh, if you happen to uh, like good podcasts, follow us on Spotify. Follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And do me a favor. Take that little URL and share it with a friend and say, hey, these guys at Agua Media have this dude named Rick Sanchez. He used to work at CNN, but he was fired. And he says some pretty crazy stuff and his reports are really good. And I want to share it with you. So do me a favor. If you've got a friend and you want to share with them something that's interesting, share this work product that we do. Now to the story. It's called the Mexican Chernobyl. The Mexican Chernobyl, because suddenly we find out that there are little pieces of cobalt 60 that have been essentially melted and then spread all over Mexico and parts of the United States as well. How the hell does that happen? How do we get to that point? How does something like that happen? Well, it begins in a hospital where there's some cancer equipment some radioactive equipment that's used to do like a form of x-rays, you know, like MRI kind of machine, big, giant machine. And this cancer center in Mexico finally decides we don't want this equipment anymore. So they call an electrician and that electrician takes the machine, but it's what he does with it next, where this bizarre story begins. And you're not going to believe what happens after this. And it sets off a set of circumstances that to this day still have repercussions and have all been kept secret and have involved parts of the U.S. military, the Mexican military, Mexican politics. But it was all hush, hush. How in the hell does something like this happen? It's really a remarkable story. And joining us now to talk about it is Isabel Carrasco. And uh, she's a journalist like I am. She's my colleague. It's nice to be able to talk to a fellow journalist. She's been uh, writing for Cultura Colectiva out of Mexico now for many, many years. And um, she's written about this story in particular. So I, I guess she has expertise on, on this story that, for the sake of uh, simplicity, we're going to call Mexico's Chernobyl. And again, 
It begins in that hospital where some administrators who own this machine, this x-ray machine, for lack of a better term, decide they don't want it anymore and they're going to get rid of it. And that's where the story begins. So, Isabel, thanks so much for joining us. We're so glad you're here. Hi, thanks, Rick, for having me. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. Listen, I, I, when I started reading about this story, I, I, I was almost angry at myself for not knowing about it. I mean, how does this something like this? I mean, I can tell you everything you need to know about Chernobyl. I've seen all the documentaries. I read all the stories. I've read about Three Mile Island. I've watched all the movies. And here we have this right under our nose, and most people don't even know about it. You certainly know about it. So let's get started with that. This hospital, where was it? Who owned this machine? And what did he try to do to get rid of the machine? Can you take us through that part? Yeah, it all starts with a problematic like origin. Like to start with, it was the medical center of specialties in Ciudad Juarez in yeah. northern Mexico. And the machine had been acquired illegally by the hospital to start with. <laughs> so why am, had, why am I not why why am I not surprised? Okay. <laughs> So, so he has this machine. What does the machine do anyway? It's a cancer center, right? So, what does this machine do? It's a radiotherapy, a radiotherapy machine that radiotherapy. had been out of the market in the U.S. because it had manufacturing issues. Got so, uh, a company in Texas sells the machine illegally to the hospital. It was cheaper, so they acquired it and they use it for years, and then they sent it to the warehouse for another <laughs> couple of years until they tell these maintenance guys to get rid of anything they want from the warehouse to sell it. So this is in Juarez, correct? Juarez is in North Mexico, close to the border with the United States. Yeah, the border, yes. So 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 they call these guys, I understand one of them is an is an electrician and, and what do they say? Do they just say, hey, we got this machine here, we don't want it anymore, you can take it, do whatever the hell you want with it, sell it for scrap, uh who cares, right? They didn't even care about the machine. They just told them to take anything they wanted from the warehouse to sell it if they wanted to. Oh, my god! So goodness. they saw this huge old machine and they thought it would be worth some money if they would just dismantle it and sell it into pieces, you know? Yep. So uh, they're, they're going to basically try and sell it then as, as scrap metal and make a nice exactly. uh, chunk of money. And apparently this is, a, this is a pretty large machine with lots of metal in the middle is this wheel that apparently spins, and inside that uh, wheel is what we now know was what? Cobalt-60, correct? It was, we can say it was some sort of bomb <laughs> because they detoned it. It was a huge box of about 50 pounds, and they had just dismantled the machine with hammers and whatever they had at hand. Oh, my God. And so, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so, this man is called by this hospital. They tell him, just take whatever the hell you want. He takes the machine that's filled with radioactive material and using your words, he takes a hammer to it and he starts breaking it apart. Yeah, until yeah, there were two men, two maintenance men. So the both of them break it and they found this huge box. They tried to open it as well with the hammers. They couldn't, but they did the tone. Uh, all the pellets inside it, which were filled of cobalt-60. And I have the, the amount here. It was 6,010 pellets of cobalt-60. And uh, they have, like, the force of a 1,000 curries. And to put it in perspective, just being exposed to one curry 
can have like really dangerous risks to the health. By the way, what those numbers that you just shared with us, and I'm going to throw out one other number, and we're going to be talking about this as we develop the story because I, I I just can't wait to find out. This this thing is like a telenovela, the way it progresses from one step to another. But eventually, we know that hundreds and hundreds of people were actually exposed to this radioactivity in Mexico. But I somehow think that that's a lowball number based on what we are going to learn as we continue this conversation with Isabel Carrasco, who is the journalist at Cultura Colectiva, joining us from uh, Mexico City. Am, am I wrong in that assumption, by the way? No, 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 you're not wrong. I mean, we probably all have been exposed, like, even today. I mean, probably I have radioactivity here in my house, <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, you almost, it, it, this is almost like a nationwide radioactive dispersal that occurred. And, yeah. and here we are talking about it. And probably, you know, very few people who are listening to the sounds of our voice even know about this. So this is why this is so crazy. Okay. So let's go back to, you know, we'll call him, um, Manuel. I don't know what the guy's actual name is. Does he, the person who took a hammer to it, does he have a name? Yeah, it's Vicente, and he was later called uh, Vicente the Bionic Man by his friends and people he knew, because even though he was super exposed to radioactivity, he had only mild uh, symptoms, so he was not that affected. The, the, the Bionic... He was, bi he was known as Bionic Man. <laughs> so Bionic Vicente gets this equipment, even before he does anything with it, I don't know if it's curiosity or what, he takes this... You call it like almost a bomb. It's described as a wheel. And he takes a hammer to it and starts breaking it apart. Little does he know that inside there is the cobalt 60 and the radioactive material. Partially broken, I guess. He then takes it where? He takes it to his pickup truck. Of course, puts it in the back without even, I don't know, putting something over it and goes to a dumpster. So all the way from the hospital to the dumpster, he keeps spreading uh, cobalt 60 pellets all oh. over the street. Oh my God. So he's driving around in an open pickup truck with pieces of pellets that are cobalt 60, which is radioactive, perhaps falling off of his truck. And he's going, I guess, to what? One of those uh, scrap metal yards where they melt down all this stuff and sell it? No, not yet. It's a dumpster. He he sells it to the dumpster. They give him like nothing for all the the metals he has. Uh -huh. He calls it a day. He goes home. We'll go back to the dumpster. But he parks his truck near his house. The next day, he finds out his battery has been stolen, so he can't move the truck, and the truck stays there for about three months until everything develops and they find the truck. Three months of a truck. That has it's fully contaminated now. I was going to say it's it's got to be fully contaminated, right? Because yeah. it had pellets. It probably still have pellets. I imagine if it's in the middle of the street, knowing Mexico in that area, children are playing there and having fun. Exactly. Families are walking by. Three months, right? Yeah, people having beers on the truck. You know, it was there for three months, and nobody <laughs> really knew what was going on yet. <laughs> oh my God! Okay, so now continuing the story. These pellets, this radioactive material, which was junk, goes to the junkyard. The junkyard then does what with it, Isabel? 
the dumpster has some agreements with some smelter companies that do uh, melt and process metal. Mm -hmm. And they put it everything on a pile that has a magnetic crane. Mm -hmm. So automatically, the moment the crane touches the, the contaminated bits of the machine, the crane gets contaminated as well. So we can say that even after getting rid of the machine, the crane keeps contaminating the scrap metal that is being sold to the smelter companies. And these companies are, well, used to make uh, construction materials. So from, from that junkyard that collects scrap metal, they took it to the Junque Phoenix uh, or Phoenix in Espanol, which is where they smelted it, right? Yeah, it's, um, uh, we call it a reciclador, a place where they recycle and process. So basically, at that place, they're going to take all of the stuff together, including this radioactive material, mix it in with everything else they found all over Mexico, and I guess create metals to sell to any companies that want to use it to make whatever they want to make, right? Yeah, exactly. They make tables. They make metal rods. They sell it as metal to companies, and these companies use it to do all kinds of things. I understand they even used it in the construction of streets all over uh, Mexico and sidewalks and stuff. So within that material that they have smelted down and now sold to companies all over Mexico and even parts of the United States, within that material, within those rods, within those tables, et cetera, et cetera, are particles of cobalt-60, which are radioactive. Yes. That yeah, is it's estimated that in a week, uh, about 20,000 tons of contaminated metal was spread all over Mexico and parts of the United States. The say, report say, said say, say, that, say, say that again. How, how many, um, how, how much? 20,000 tons of metal. 20,000 tons of metal that could possibly be radioactive or is radioactive spread throughout all of Mexico and perhaps parts of the United States. Now, let's talk a little bit about the United States because the, the, the revelation that this is even going on is obviously not known by anybody because it just happened. Nobody knows. People are walking on sidewalks and cars are driving on streets that are radioactive and they don't even know it. And we don't know to this day probably what the significance of that is. But something happens in the United States of all places that is the signal that tells everybody, uh-oh, there's something wrong. Could you describe what that was? So from this military company, there is this guy who's going to deliver some stock in New Mexico. And out of a stroke of luck or destiny, I don't know, he gets lost. So he starts like circling streets and happened to pass through the, and I have the name here. The Los Alamos, uh... Los Alamos National Security Lab which is the same where the Manhattan Project was developed. The Los, Al so right. the Los, Al uh, Los Alamos Lab in New Mexico, <laughs> which happens to be a high security center for the United States, heavily involved in everything having to do with radiology so it and radioactive material. So it just so happens that they have what? Alarms all over and sensors, right? Yeah, radioactivity sensors. So it's spiked. And they automatically took pictures of the truck and they alerted the authorities. 
And this guy had no idea. He just went to spend the night at a motel. He just wakes up the next day to see his truck being invaded by a squad team and people with suits and machines <laughs> analyzing his truck. So this, so this is crazy. This is crazy, Isabel. Think about this. What are the chances this guy was just a truck driver who yes. happened to be in the vicinity of that smelting company? That smelting company that we now know had processed all of this radioactive material, which means his truck happens to have radioactive material on it as well. And he just drives into the United States, probably to make a delivery of some form. It happens every day. There is lots of trade between Mexico and the United States. But it just so happens that because he gets lost, nobody else would have known that he has radioactive material because who the hell is walking around with radioactive material sensors? But because he gets lost and happens to drive by and leave his truck near the Los Alamos lab in New Mexico, sensors inside the lab start suddenly start going off like beep, beep. And people inside the lab are going, oh, my God, what's going on? We've had a radioactive leak, a, radio, a radioactive leak of some kind. And as the story goes, they start searching the lab, but they don't find anything. And then they start realizing, well, maybe it's not coming from inside the lab. It was outside the lab where his where his truck was parked. Right? Yeah, exactly. And they started seeing the cameras and they realized it, it, the, the alarm started sounding the moment the truck passed by. So, Even your dog loves this story. I mean, I, I, you, can't, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. So now they're wondering, I imagine in Los Alamos, you know, this is uh, part of the U.S. military. I know the Army is there. Navy officials are there. Uh, CIA is there. And they're wondering, okay, we got a problem. What the hell is going on? Why is this truck from Mexico giving off the highest signs and signals and detection that we've ever detected of anything in this area before. What What is going on here? So they start investigating the truck and what? I imagine they follow it, right, to its uh, origination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, after they find uh, this guy at the motel and they realize his truck is highly radioactive, I mean, it was radi uh, radiating a thousand rams, which is the measurement. And if you want me to put it into perspective, uh, an X-ray ma uh, machine radiates 0.2 rems. Uh, an X-ray technician can only be exposed to 50 rems a year. And exposure to 300 to 400 rems can be fatal in almost all cases. Oh so this truck was right radiating 1,000 rems. It was a lot. Like, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> We started I mean, to see where this was coming from because the guy didn't know anything, you know? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. So the investigation starts um, and they, I imagine, start tracing it back and they eventually are able to trace it back to this, this, this uh, smelting company, right? Yeah, and the dumpster. So they find the people, the... A nuclear commission in the U.S. contacts the Mexican Commission of Nuclear Security, which I'm impressed they even had one, considering they didn't really care about radioactivity or disposing radioactivity. Right. And back in Mexico, they start like the search for the other truck, while also having a team looking for the tons of contaminated material in the U.S. 
they managed to recover 90% of the metal. Or so they say. Or so they say. Yeah, well, what it's crazy here is that apparently they only had one ton, <laughs> 1,000 tons, sorry, of contaminated metal in the U.S. They recovered 90%, and instead of dealing with it or disposing it themselves, they sent it to Mexico. So at the end of the day, we got basically all the feedback. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Good old Uncle Sam. Yeah, yeah. okay. You know what? Hey, the Mexicans can deal with that. We'll just... <laughs> We'll send the radio, the radioactive material back to them. Now, I, I, I would imagine that at this point, um, somebody has to figure out this is going to involve a massive cleanup. We have to not only go and find the point of origination, which I imagine they've already found. It was the, it was the hospital, which then led to the scrapyard, which then led to the smelting company. Now, the smelting company has produced it and put it in these products that's gone all over the country including on roads, sidewalks, who knows. And now okay. they have to go around and find all of that. This is a major, major, um, a major undertaking. Uh, Isabel, the only proper way to do this is to involve the Mexican people, send out on all signals, tell everybody what's going on, and just be transparent, right? And that's exactly what the Mexicans did. They told the whole world about it so that they can help them, right? Yeah, no, they only gather a team of 180 people equipped with a magnificent <laughs> equipment of brooms, regular brooms. Oh, no my God. Whatsoever, no. And to start sweeping all the ways uh, the truck passed and throwing pellets. Uh, the truck that was abandoned, they decided it was a great idea to take it to one of Ciudad Juarez's biggest national, like, biggest public parks to deal with it there, a park where... Thousands of people go there daily, and that was pretty much what they did. They that, that's ended just, up by the way. That's just, I got. I just got to say that what you just said sounds like a cops and robbers movie. It's disgusting. It's stupid, and it's embarrassing. How is it that the United States government and the Mexican government both didn't immediately put out a press release telling people that they need their help, that they need to be careful, that they need to be cautious? Why would they continue to let children play what near, near what may be radioactive sites while they secretly, and as you say, incompetently, in, incompetently use brooms to pick up this stuff. I mean, the, the, my God, Isabel. Yeah, it's stupid. And they said that they only recovered 5,000 uh, tons of the contaminated material, but we don't know where, what they did with it. I mean, some of them say that they um, put it under the ground and stuff like that, but it's no way to know, you know? <laughs> who, was the, who, who was the president of Mexico at the time? It was Miguel de la Madrid. Ma Miguel de la Madrid was the pre uh, president of Mexico at the time. Um, and as I understand it, his administration uh, made sure that uh, this is all kept secret, hush-hush, because he thought that if people find out, it would hurt him politically. No, not even that. I, I don't think they'd even thought about that. They just thought uh, people won't, won't understand any of this. So we'll just say this happened. It's contaminated. We're cleaning it. That's fine. It's everything's fine. They just yeah, but, 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 but wait a minute. I mean, they, they may not understand it, but in, by not understanding it, they yeah. could die. No, what I mean is that it wasn't like kept secret. I, there were news about it, but they never like really explained the 
the depths of this contamination of this incident. They just said, hey, there was contaminated material. We're recovering. We're cleaning it. Everything's fine. You know? But but but, uh, but you know now, as a reporter who's followed this, the yeah. significance of this, the severity of this was such that people should have known for their own protection. Yeah. Yeah, they, they even repopulated the areas where the main contamination happened. Like, immediately people came back to their houses, <laughs> like nothing happened. The park was reopened, like where the contaminated truck was, stood for, for a while. So, yeah, they, they didn't really care. So the report. Gonna... Go ahead. I'm going to say like one plot twist to this by the end, which shows that they really didn't care at all about radio radioactivity or contaminated people. But that's going to be my ending plot twist. <laughs> the reports that I read seem to indicate that the president was concerned that the fallout from this would be very, very difficult for his administration. So uh, maybe they didn't uh, hide it but they certainly downplayed yes. it. Is, is that fair to say they downplayed yeah. it? Totally, yes. So in the end, this material being what it is, eventually, as I understand, and you tell me if I'm right, they did finally, I think forced by outside sources, were forced to take it more seriously, and they did finally call radioactive materials specialists I believe, from the United States to go there and do a more in-depth removal. Is that correct? Yeah, but they only managed to find a little amount of all that contaminated material because most of it was already in construction, in buildings, in streets. There was no way like, to retrieve it. So they could only take the, the material that was like there, <laughs> able to take it. So what, what that means based on what I just heard you say, is that to this day, there is probably still existing radioactive material throughout Mexico and exactly where it is and how radioactive it is, we don't know. No. And they, they the reports say that it only reached 17 states of the 32, but that's probably not true. I mean, probably it's all over the country. We don't even know if beyond like in Guatemala or... Belize or we don't know to to like how far it, it reached these materials but but it's true is that yeah probably most houses in Mexico were built that were built around the time have those materials uh, we don't really know if they're still that radio, uh, radioactive or not it, hmm. there, there's no way to know so what it's known is like the the increase in health issues that happen in the following years that well we we know this the half-life of cobalt uh, 60 is somewhere between five and six years that's how long it's actually giving out radiation but mm -hmm. supposing it did give out radiation to someone specifically and as we know with radiation somehow it penetrated their dna they got sick and died of cancer but didn't know it but in the process, maybe if it was a female, she got pregnant, she would pass on some of that to the next generation and maybe the next generation. So, you know, we're talking about something very significant here, similar to what, you know, we saw in places like, uh, you know, Hiroshima, for example, and, uh, you know, places like what we've seen with, uh, 
you know, the nuclear uh, disaster in uh, Ukraine as well, Chernobyl. So th this is something that needs to be taken serious. It's something that needs to be investigated. And yet it seems to me that it just kind of wasn't. Yep. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it actually, the story emerged uh, with the, all the craze that the Chernobyl series had. So uh, it was super popular all over the world and Mexico as well. And people who knew about it or had read about it started like researching again because it was a forgotten story. And what, what does that say? What does that what does that say, Isabel? That you know, the only reason people even started talking a little bit about this story recently was because there was a real serious investigation about what happened in Chernobyl. It seems to suggest to me, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that we <laughs> Latinos, Mexicanos, don't matter as much as Russians or Ukrainians do. Yeah, and also the fact that that disaster in particular was like super loud. I mean, there was an explosion, yeah. things, the big, like immediate victims and all that. Uh, here, uh, only to give them like 1% of fairness, <laughs> uh, we weren't, the world wasn't aware of the risks of radioactivity and nuclear stuff yet. You know, it was three years before Chernobyl, mm -hmm. but yet, after Chernobyl happened, nobody really cared to look back. Oh, we had this three years ago. We should actually do something, research. Not Nobody did that. What are the people of Mexico saying about this uh, story? What kind of reaction have you had since you wrote it? Uh, it's been shocking. I mean, as I said, it like reemerged three years ago that the series came out. Um, probably one of the places I saw it first was a very popular podcast here in Mexico. And I don't know if it's us Mexicans <laughs> that we take everything with a humor, mm -hmm. uh, but all we could like react to was like, oh my God, this didn't happen. Like the Mexican government <laughs> didn't do this. These people didn't do it. It was like surreal as many things that happen here. Would you describe <laughs> you the know? Mexican government's reaction in this particular story as corrupt or incompetent or both? I think both because you, I mean, starting with the, with acquiring illegal equipment in a government medical institution, you know, it's, it's all good. It all go, goes back to that. You know, they shouldn't have that machine. They right. shouldn't have disposed it that way. They should have, ways to do it properly i mean even they had a nuclear security commission that should be in charge of doing those things you know has anyone been held responsible for any of this no zero no, no. no one zero. has gone to jail no one no, has been fired everybody points out to the guy who break the machine but no <laughs> so vicente is the only one who has uh paid i guess any consequences because they made fun of him and uh, blamed him for tearing apart something. He didn't even know what it was, though. He didn't know what no. it was. No, no. And uh, for everyone, it, this was an incident. You know, it's not... <laughs> not a disaster. They have a disaster. Yeah, it's really more disaster than incident. You know, an, an incident is when, you know, I don't get to the bathroom one time. Uh, exactly. That's an incident. Th this is not an incident. Th this is no, a potential nuclear happen. fallout with radiation that involves potentially hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in two countries. So I don't see how they can just say this is a little bit of an incident. I I I'm just wondering, um, 
why it is that, like, for example, it wasn't investigated. The the hospital that bought the equipment that they wasn't sanctioned or licensed. Uh, the hospital in the United States that sold them equipment without filing the proper, uh, I guess, radiation reports. Uh, uh, no consequences. Nobody's called on any of these things at all. They probably just wanted to keep it like nothing happened. We're dealing with it. We're not going to do anything more than what needs to be done for the public eye. But I mean, this, if we can call it an incident, let's say it's an incident, uh, that the plot twist I was telling you that is that three years later, uh, exactly four months after Chernobyl, mm -hmm. the government knowingly bought radioactive milk to give to feed children in Mexico with their program to feed like the, the, the needless. So if they did that knowingly, of course, this case that they didn't know, they would just take it like. What year was that? And what was that report? What was that incident 86. called? 86, the same year as Chernobyl, uh, four months after Chernobyl. Um, I guess I have to ask, do you think both Mexico and the United States have learned their lesson and something like this could not happen today? I wouldn't be that sure. I mean, uh, as part of Mexico goes, I think they have done a great job in dealing with disasters in general. Uh, we are very organized for that. But whenever there's their fault or the governance, uh, government's fault or something they could have prevented, they always turn their to, to their heads to something else, you know? So probably it could happen again. I hope not. I mean, we are more aware of radioactivity. There are more uh, no security measurements. Mm -hmm. So I hope scientists who are dealing with it know best of what to do. But if it comes to governments or, you know, all these commissions, I, I don't think they would do it any other way than they did it back in the 80s. Does it surprise you that the United States did not take a more firm hand in helping or pressing the Mexican government to help its own people? Yeah, it did. I, I was shocked when, <laughs> when I learned that they sent it back. I mean, you had like all these labs that find it. They surely know how to deal with it. And they were like, nah, send it back. So it the, was... U the U.S. nuclear regulatory agencies and the U.S. political players in all of this Sounds like the way you're describing it acted irresponsibly and selfishly against the Mexican people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they just wanted to get rid of everything and <laughs> just, just sent it back. I found this uh, document uh, that is signed by both uh, Mexican and the American uh, Nuclear Security Commissions, mm -hmm. and they didn't even mention this incident. I mean, they talk about like other minor uh, incident, something in 62, something that happened in 81, but that was not like an incident or a disaster. It was just like cooperation. Uh, but they never mentioned this this particular incident of Ciudad Juarez, hmm. which is surprising. That's amazing. That is absolutely, yeah. a, what a story. Uh, Isabel, Car uh, Isabel Carrasco, I guess, you know, if we, if we, uh, say her name the proper way it's carrasco which is always fun to do because there's nothing like being able to roll your r's 
Maybe that's yeah. one of the things we like doing as Latinos is every once in a while just speaking our own language because it's fun because we get to roll yes. our R's and say Isabel Carrasco, periodista, journalist, reporter, cultura colectiva, reporting to us from uh, Ciudad Mexico. Thanks so much for uh, sharing that information with us. That's absolutely remarkable that uh, something as important as this, as potentially deadly and devastating as this, is known by so few people. It's amazing. Yeah. So we, we thank you for your report. We thank you for writing the story. And we, we're, we're, we're really happy that it came to our attention. Uh, thank you for my, so much for having me. <laughs> well, you know, there it is. I mean, you know, we talk about Latino truths and we talk about bringing to light information that you would never hear. I always say this, right? You always hear me say this. The journalists in the United States, the cable channels, et cetera, they're not going to tell our stories. They're not going to tell the stuff that's interesting. They're not going to tell our truth. They're not going to defend us. They just won't. They're just not interested. It's not because they're necessarily bad people. It's just that if we want to tell our stories, we got to tell them ourselves. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. That's why this is called Agua Media. This is Rick Sanchez News. Do me a favor. Tell your friends that we exist. Take a copy of the URL, send it to your friends, tell people about it, because otherwise they're not going to get the information. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're wherever you get your podcast. And of course, if you're watching us right now on YouTube, subscribe. Go ahead, do so, because we need all the support we can get as we build this thing. We build this movement that we call Rick Sanchez News. Thanks for being with us, and adelante. Agua. 